It's episode 960. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. The cycling season is underway with races on the far side of the world, but I never really think of a cycling season starting until Omlump. But before we jump in, because I know you're brimming full of questions, before we jump in, let's run through a few predictions as to how we think this cycling season's going to pan out and then we can get some bragging rights. Yeah, because straight away when we chatted about this, I was like, oh yeah, the Tour, La Vuelta, the Giro. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. There's a million amazing races before that. The classics. The classics. They are brilliant. Like the Tour. They're different. They're totally different. So different. Because the yeah. Tour, the Vuelta, the Giro, they, I don't know, some days, and it is worthwhile, but some days you're waiting and it's like a prequel or it's a transition scene. And you're waiting to run with that movie analogy. You're waiting for three weeks for the race to come to its crescendo. But in a one-day race, it all plays out. The prologue, the transition, the climax, all plays out inside 250-odd kilometres. And you get that entertainment when Grand Tours can be frustrating enough waiting for that you know, decisive moments. Yeah, you're so right. It is just action really from the get-go with the classics. The favourites are Milan-San Remo. I think that's the first ever Only race. the favourites. Your favourites or the favourites in My general? favourites. <laughs> I think the first race I ever watched was Milan-San Remo. That's going back a few years ago. Hadn't a clue what was going on. I'm a little bit more clued in now. And my prediction for Milan-San Remo is... Apparently, it's going to be his first race of the season, Matthew Vanderpoel, because it's the classics are for those big lads, aren't they? Like the Matthew Vanderpoels, the Ghana, the White Van Arsh, they're classics riders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. I I don't know. I think that that playbook's a little bit ripped up because Pogaccia can win any single race. Jonas is so good, he probably won't take part in any classics. But even like Fred Wright that we've had on the podcast is all top 10 in Flanders. So I don't know if there's a, typically or historically, you had a classics type of rider, a Fabian Cancellara, a Peter Sagan, and then they might go on and contest for stages or a green jersey or time trials in Grand Tours. But more and more we're seeing just riders who can do absolutely everything like Pogaccia. It's kind of how I identify. I kind of identify a as a classics rider. rider. <laughs> It's like the fat lad in the group spin always identifies as a sprinter. Just because you can't climb doesn't make you a sprinter. I I basically got called a sprinter before by one of the guys on the group because I didn't ride out front at all. I just waited till the very end. I just got dropped on climbs. (laughs) But no, I'm I'm self-affiliating with the classics. So Milan San Remo, it's a nice race because it plays out quite formulaic where they go over Cipressa. Poggio, if you can hang on up the Poggio, it's maybe a group sprint from a small group. Occasionally you get one or two riders who will go solo. Cancellaro went solo back in the day. We had Mohoric on the podcast not too long ago talking about his epic descent to win San Remo solo. So San Remo, who's your winner? San Remo, I think it's MVP. Okay, I'm going to yeah. go with Pogaccia. So San Remo is the one with the mad, crazy descent. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. I always watch that from behind a cushion. That is... Where Kelly caught Chiapucci <laughs> on the descent years ago. Brilliant. <laughs> oh my God. Every time they take a corner, you're just like, <gasps> audible gasp from the cl- from the crowd. Why yeah. would use the dropper sea post on it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Everyone should go and check out that interview with Maharich. It's on YouTube. It's absolutely brilliant. Right, let me throw a few more races at you for predictions. Flanders. No idea. You give me yours. No <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw a complete spanner in the works and go with a non-favourite. I would say this is an each way bet. If you're looking to make a little bit of cash, I'm going to go with Arnold Lee. Oh, wow. Okay. 
that, that sounds like a complete outsider to me because I never even heard of the man. <laughs> okay, and what about Roubaix then, Anthony? Roubaix, again, I'm going to go with a little bit of an outsider. My head tells me Wout van Aert, but I'm going to go to Ghana. Go to each way bet again. I don't necessarily know he'll win it, but each way. A couple of years ago, we were watching it together. I won each way on Roubaix and I had all three riders from my five picks sprinted against each other coming into the velodrome and Sonny Calbrelli pulled it off for me. I can't remember. I think he could have been 17 to one shot. Yeah, that was amazing. We dined like kings that night, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Tenor each way. <laughs> and the Tour de France, Anthony, what do you think? Who is going to, who's going to wear that yellow jersey on the final day? Uh, as much as it pains because I don't like him after the shenanigans of Vuelta with Sepp Kuss, I think it's going to be Primoz Roglic this year. Okay, I still absolutely, I can't just be a turncoat on Roglic. Yeah, I didn't like what happened with Sepp. Sepp is amazing. I really, really admire him, but I will be shouting for Roglic to get the yellow jersey. Not Jonas, not Pogaccia. Don't really like Jonas. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Just like personality or the yeah, way that he rides? not much personality about him. Don't really like the way he rides here. Like the way Pogaccio rides, like the way Roglic rides. I'd love to see Sepp Kuss win. That would be amazing. It's not going to happen, but I'd yeah, love it. Yeah, I like those riders that are a little bit more kind of, a little bit, yeah, I think I'm going to go with Roglic as well. I'd absolutely love to see that. Okay, none of those predictions are going to come true. So <laughs> let's move on to some news that's going on in the cycling world. Yes. Okay. So something kind of funny that happened, not funny for the riders, but a couple of days ago, Ecoy have basically produced this new pedal. It's not available to the market yet. It's not coming out until September of 2024. But what seems to have happened at this race is that the UCI, similarly enough to the new rules about the handlebars being turned in, uh, there was a lot of paperwork that wasn't, the T's weren't crossed, the I's weren't dotted on it. So an hour before this race kicked off, the UCI basically said, you're not allowed to use these pedals. These pedals apparently have an eight wash advantage, according to Akoi. So I think there was still some kind of red tape to get through around that. So all the riders were left. And because the shoes and the pedals, it's all proprietary, their cleats wouldn't fit on to anything else. Some of the riders had to go to other teams to borrow shoes and cleats, pedals. And then other riders had to go and buy secondhand shoes, cleats, pedals from a stall that happened to be at the start of the race selling secondhand equipment. Yeah, that's rough. I can't really identify with this, but I remember racing the Tour of Ulster with Aqua Blue, got kitted, ready to go, team talk. I'm still walking around my flip-flops and stuff, you know, getting a coffee, listening to team talk. Then it's go time to get going for my warm-up, unzip my bag, shoes are back in the hotel. So I raced the stage in my runners. <laughs> <laughs> Finishing the bunch as well. <laughs> Full kit in my runners. And a teammate of mine, same team, Marco Callan, he, we've had staying down with us here. Yeah. Legend of a lad. He raced a Kermes in Belgium in his runners. <laughs> Forgot his shoes. Oh my God. And he finished the bunch. So your shoes are back at the hotel. Yeah. Got <laughs> soaked on stage one. And I put newspaper in them. I put them under the bed to dry. I completely forgot to pack them. And who was your DS at the time? I can imagine whoever that was was just like, yeah, you're off the team I after think this. It was Timmy <laughs> that is embarrassing. But you managed to stay with the bunch. So it's probably more embarrassing for the bunch that you managed probably to stay held with on them. To a few cars on the cars, <laughs> to be honest. A few sticky balls. Some, a little bit of controversy going around about Tour of Britain at the moment. Tour of Britain organisers are called Sweet Spot, as far as I know, and they haven't paid, they've gone into liquidation and they haven't pro paid the Tour of Britain prize money, which I think primarily affects 
Wout van Aert. Uh, Adam Hansen, who again has been on the podcast, he's the chairman of the CPA. He, you know, he's a bit outspoken on it. I think, do you have a quote from Adam Hansen? Yeah, Adam's really, really very much a big advocate for the riders, as he should be. And yeah, he doesn't uh, he doesn't hold his punches at all. He said the CPA is well aware of the situation and has already started the process of going after the prize money funds. If there's not enough money left to pay after the liquidation process, it means that the National Federation will have to bear the debts of the previous organisers under UCI regulations. There's a man who knows regulation 2.4 part 3. I don't think he does. Do you not think no, so? No, I think that's spoof. I don't think he does. I think the enforceability of that whole thing, it's going to sit in the UK, obviously, because it's a UK race. So it's going to depend a lot on the legal framework there, how sports arbitration and legal disputes work in that country. Also, if there's contracts between the UCI and the organisers and national federations, that's also going to play a role. So I'd imagine it's going to be a lot less simple than Adam Hansen says there where it's just like, okay, if there's not enough money left after liquidation, the British Cycling's going to pay. Gonna pay. Yeah. That's going to go to arbitration. And if Wout van Aert is listening, we'll be going spending that money. Yeah, I think that's going to be a long, long time before he gets his hands on I wonder money. what the prize money is. I actually... It's 165 grand, I think he's due. Oh, whoa. Okay. 113,000 prize pot. Whoa. Now, that's not all Wout van Aert. It's amongst the top three and then probably the Olaf female Coy riders as well. Wout van Aert, I think, are the two primary guys that won a bulk of that. I can't remember exactly how much maybe it is uh yeah just skimming the article as you're talking here uh they owe over 700 i think total so now again i'm totally skimming this article so i don't know the distribution but they're well yeah. owed a lot of money it's a lot of money well in that race okay wow i'll watch the space we will keep everyone updated on that one okay will we jump into the questions there's loads yes, of them the edge of my seat. <laughs> anthony i saw this week that the uci are holding their first ever grant Grand Fondo World Series in Ireland this summer. What's the difference between a Grand Fondo and a Sportif, like the Wicklow 200 or Majorca 312? I always kind of thought that Grand Fondo was just an American version of a Sportif. And I have to say, I really, for a long time, thought the exact same. Grand Fondo's timed. That's it. That's it. That's the only difference. Yeah, but Grand Fondo's more like a race than it is a Sportif. Okay. It's okay. It's, there's a participation element to it as well. Yeah, because I'm going to go and give this this uh, a go. I think this is You're on. You're going to go give it socks. I'll go give it welly. <laughs> I'll be up front for the first 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't think you will. I think this is going to be one of those ones that is absolutely packed because you're going to have no categories like you have in road races. It just sounds like carnage to me because in road races, you've got one, two, three, four here in Ireland and they're all siloed and they go off differently, you know, for safety and ability. But here, everyone's going to be thrown in together. Plus, you're going to have people that aren't even category four. They're just club racers or sportif goers that are going to get thrown in. And then you're going to throw in an international mix into this. All on the road to Sligo. This sounds like a crash <laughs> fest waiting to happen. Prove me wrong. Yeah, because even like during the sportifs, like the Wicklow 200, I can't speak for the Mallorca 312, I've never done it. But there is a lot of people who are not used to riding when there's a lot of people around them. You do see some kind of dangerous things happening. People not really being in full, full control of their bikes the whole time. So this kind of timed element, I guess, does add a couple of layers, a couple of more elements for things to go wrong. But yeah, I'm hopefully going to try and do this and uh, I'll report back as to how everything goes there. I'll try and stay hopefully away from it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, next question. Hi, do you ever have a problem with cramping quads like I do? Any remedies? You never really cramp. 
No, I never cramp actually. For, uh, like the odd time I get like a cramp in my toe if I was swimming or <laughs> if I go to sleep. If I go to sleep and you get a cramp in your foot. <laughs> I cramped my hand from writing too many lines in school. Oh, right. Okay. What were your lines? I must not be belligerent. Just been bailing a host. Oh, Asquelga. Yeah. yeah. Your sister ca- told me what it meant. I, I can't ca- remember. I think it means y- your mouth is always going or something. I'm sure somebody will <laughs> write in and let us know what that says. But yeah, cramps, Anthony. I think it's a sign. There's a few signs, isn't there? Dehydration, lack of electrolytes. I think they're basically the two biggest I used fatigue, cramp, maybe. I used to cramp quite a bit and with an uh, overt uh, plug to one of our sponsors, I started taking Pillar, which is unbelievable. It's a triple magnesium supplement and I haven't cramped since now it's been off season so I haven't been going super super deep but I would typically get cramps on occasion and they've been completely alleviated so I would definitely recommend giving that a whirl. Yeah I agree. I think if you get a cramp when you're in the middle of something like have you experienced it in the middle of a sprint or sprinting for a finish line? Not in a sprint but you know I've definitely experienced it in races where I'm you know, I've tried, had to try to pedal through it. Sometimes you, you have to pedal through it. Like, it's absolute torture. I was going to say, it's very, very debilitating. It's, yeah, totally debilitating. Like, you have to try pedal it out and try and get out of the saddle, in the saddle. I've never had to come to a complete halt and get off the bike, but it, it's very, very close. Like, I was in 10 out of 10 pain where, like, my hamstring was just locked beyond belief. Yeah, they're extremely painful. But yeah, I would say hydration, making sure that you've got your electrolytes, stretching, and then massage can help as well. But I think they are the biggest ones. But, you know, the sweat analyzers as well now, which I haven't played around with. I'd be interested to play around with as well to see when we sweat, we don't sweat out straight water. We sweat out a combination of water and salts. But the combination we sweat out is different for everyone. So the sweat analyzers talk to you about that makeup of that secretion. So you can start to replace specifically the salts that you're losing. Interesting to play around with that. Maybe something I will explore. Yeah, and actually something that was pointed out to me a couple of weeks ago, I am obsessed with drinking water. I'm never without a glass of water in my hands. I feel groggy. I feel crap the next day. I don't sleep well if I'm not hydrated. But we did notice that I was probably drinking too much and not replacing those electrolytes. And I've been taking the pillar as well. And I was constantly thirsty. And I think, again, that was because I was just washing all of the good minerals and stuff out. So yeah, I would definitely have a look into that, uh, this chap that wrote in. Thank you very much. Okay, next question. Hi, Anthony and Sarah. Do you think it's bad etiquette to arrange a splinter group of training partners? I joined a club a few months ago and have been riding on the Saturday ride with them. However, that is a social spin. And on Sundays, I like to push it a bit harder. So I've been inviting some of the stronger riders on a club spin on a Sunday where the level is much pacier and the route is harder and longer. I got an email from the chairperson to say that I was causing a split in the group, a split in the club and that their ethos is inclusivity. And even if the pace on a Sunday is harder, everyone should be invited and that the normal rules apply, that is waiting at the top of a climb for slower riders. They stated that because we are cycling under the club and in club kit, it would be better if Sunday rides were not excluding anyone. Honestly, I'm thinking of leaving the club after this or am I overreacting? This is a interesting question because I think most clubs do have some form of splinter group in them I don't I think that the part I would take uh, 
umbrage. Is that a word? I would, it is. Yes. I would take exception to is the normal club rules apply on a Sunday. I think if you want to meet your friends for a spin, you can meet your friends for a spin. I don't think that's like it has to be a club spin. But if you're putting it into the club group, should the club rules apply? I don't really know. I think mm. if you want to go out training harder on your own on a Sunday, that's perfect. If there's people in the group that you want to go training with and you set up a subgroup for that, I think that's fine. Would it be nice maybe to throw it into the wider group and if more than your small little friend circle want to tag along, but they're made aware that, look, this is a faster spin. We're not going to be waiting for people on this faster spin. It's not a beginner friendly spin. I think that's actually fine. I think the misstep is the chairman saying normal club rules apply on a Sunday because he has potential to have two spins. He has a social spin now on a Saturday and he has a harder spin organized by someone else on a Sunday with the nature of a harder spin is you can't be waiting for everybody all the time. Like it's fine saying wait at the top of the climbs for slower riders if it's an endurance spin or if people are doing like threshold efforts on a climb and doubling back down. But if it's just a tempo true and off spin, you can't wait at the top of every climb because it's totally going to wreck the flow and rhythm of the spin. So yeah, I think the chairman is misstepping by saying that regular club rules apply and you have to wait for everybody at the top of the climb. I think you're being really diplomatic. I'm like, where is this question coming from? North Korea. You're like you can't even meet buddies at the same the same pace or the same ability of you that is outside the club Saturday ride. So you can't actually arrange to meet other people from the club and go on a spin. Like if we were all so sensitive, I like I get totally and utterly pissed off every time the racers from our club met up or you all went up to Wicklow without me or things like that. Like this is absolute bonkers. I think that chairperson is, I don't know, completely out of line sending mail. To, yeah, sending a message to a member to say you have to invite everyone on a Sunday. This is completely ridiculous. No, I don't have to you have to invite everyone. Well, I think he is. He said that their ethos is inclusivity and basically that they sh everyone should be invited on the Sunday ride, ride and that normal rules apply. I'd be telling this fella to Okay, I don't think everyone off. should be invited, but, but like to push back and if you were wrong, so I know you don't like to acknowledge <laughs> this, if you were wrong, what's wrong with putting it into the Sunday group? Like, because otherwise you're starting to get these little splinter groups. And if you're trying to cultivate... Uh, you know, a sense of community and culture in the club, which I think all clubs should be about community. Yeah, yours together. is a middle ground then to put it in everywhere, but explain to everyone that we're not going to be waiting at the top of climbs and it is a pace you're great. Yeah, because what I'm trying to avoid is, and you see this in a lot of clubs, I'm trying to avoid the, the riders come into a club and they're typically bad. They start out at the beginning, they're bad. They learn off better riders around them who have been cycling for years. They teach them how to train. They teach them how to dress, how to eat. And then eventually the bad riders become good. The riders who once taught them now maybe have cycled out and gone on to other stuff. And so these once bad riders are now the role models that people look to in the club. And what do they do? As soon as they become role models in the club, they think they're too cool now to become role models. And they set up a splinter group and they wreck that progression for the rest of the club because now the newbies coming into the club have no one to learn from and so the cycle dies. And we're seeing that in a lot of cycling clubs where people think because they're cartoon, they can do 320 watts for 20 minutes and they have like a 15 grand bike that they're pro. You're not pro. You know, you know, respects what's happened in cycling for hundreds of years and how this tradition of the group ride is built. And that's what I'm trying to get at. That's why I think 
inclusivity is good, even if it's on a Sunday, but it needs to be with a caveat. Disagree. I think go do your time. You're cycling a hot week. <laughs> I, exactly. So I'm seeing it from a newbie's angle. I wouldn't expect somebody who was really, really good, streets ahead of me on every level, better climber, faster, wants to go out and have a really good session. They've done their time with me on a Saturday. They've taught me how to eat and drink on the bike. They've spent all afternoon waiting for me to get the top of that climb. I think go out on Sunday and whack it with your friends who are at a similar pace. Yeah, but no one's disagreeing with you there, sir. That's yeah. what we're talking about. But you can put it into the group and say, like, invite everyone to. Why not? Yeah, okay. All right, let's agree to disagree. Okay, next question. It winds me up to see people running on the bike path. What's your thoughts on this? Cycle on the road if you don't like it. <laughs> this is funny because we were talking about this a few weeks ago and you and I, again, have very differing opin- opinions on it because you do a little bit of running. I do even less running. I used to do a lot of running. And you do see people running on the cycle path and cyclists having, you know, slowing down to get around them and groups of cyclists coming upon runners quite quickly. I think there's definitely like a safety element. Personally, it doesn't wind me up. I have seen when I've been in the company of other riders, somebody be running on the bike path and they'll come up behind or in front of this you know, runner, jogger, and let a roar at them to get off the cycle path. I'm absolutely not advocating that. I think that's really rude. It frightens people. There's no need to do that. But I do think that there's very little space for cyclists. And if we're given a dedicated cycle path, and there's a, let's say, for instance, our cycle path that is very close to our home, we have the cycle path, which is about eight foot wide. On the right hand side of that, is a footpath for runners and joggers. And actually on the left side of the cycle path is another footpath. And then beyond that, the other side of the road, there's another footpath and a big park and a beach. But runners insist on running on the cycle path. And it it does, I have to say, I don't really understand it. I think that the bike path should be for bikes. With respect, you're not really a runner. Like you go out for an occasional run, you're not a runner. Mm. I think runners run on the bike path, not joggers. That's what you typically see. Actual like runners that are out doing, you know, 315, 320. Yeah, but how do you delineate between pace. a runner and a non-runner? Like it's just like either everyone's allowed to run on the bike path or no one's allowed to run well, on the bike path. I would say path. everyone's allowed. I, it, a bit of a pet peeve of mine is the outdoor active community is very small. And when people just try to segment the outdoor active community into different strands... I don't like that. I don't like when I'm on my gravel bike and someone says, oh, this trail's only for hill walkers. Mm. It's like, hold on, we're all outdoors. We're all active. We all have basically the same values here around, you know, conservation of paths, around being healthy, being active, leaving the car at home, one less car. We don't really need to subdivide it saying, okay, left of this line is you, right of this line is me. Like we can, I think the main thing on it is safety. If there's... You could put the same argument on a bike path saying, look, a group ride's not suitable on a bike path, then yeah, it's not safe. I, I, and I think I that's a more plausible argument yeah. than runners are not safe on a bike path. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's just the safety should be the guiding concern. If you're running at some friends like Mick Clossy I've had on the podcast, and he's out running at 310 kilometers pace, I think there's a safety issue there with Mick running on footpaths with cars coming in and out of driveways with the undulation of footpaths with rollerbladers, electric scooters. I think Mick is safer on a bike path. Mm. But yeah, I just don't like the subdivision of outdoor spaces. 
I'm really excited to announce our show sponsor today is Silka. For those of you who might not know, Silka offers best in the game bike accessories like tools, pumps, plus all your everyday bike maintenance kit like chain wax and even sealant. What sets Silka apart is their commitment to quality, beauty and craftsmanship. Trust me, these products are built to last. I've been replacing my track pump probably on average every two years, but my dad has had a Silka track pump since I can remember and it's still going perfectly strong, almost without a blemish on it. So if you want to spoil yourself or maybe you want to treat one of your cycling friends, they have so many amazing products over on the Silka website. There's torque wrench sets, bike bags, 3D printed bike computer mounts and loads of other really cool pieces all over there. And as a Roadman listener, you can get 13% off all Silka products. Just use the code ROADMAN13 at checkout. Not only does this get you a fantastic deal, but it also lets Silka know that sponsoring this podcast is valuable. Whether you're shopping for a gift or you're treating yourself, Silka has something for every cyclist who hates the throwaway culture and loves quality. So check them out and don't forget to use the code ROADMAN13 at checkout. The details are in the description below. Yeah, I think this this listener, it winds me up. I think, yeah, I think you're probably taking it a little bit too far there. I think relax about it. I mean, we're all, as Anthony said, sharing the space. I don't think that runners should have a place on the cycle path. Anthony doesn't mind, but there we have it. Okay, next question. Should athletes be role models? That's the, they did not go into any more details about this at all. Should athletes be role models? Like, should we use, should we, I guess it's kind of like, should we put these athletes on a pedestal and hold them to a standard that our young people are looking at, that they can't make a mistake, that they have to watch their P's and Q's constantly? Should we expect that from our cyclists or any sports? Or should we just let them you know, cycle, I think this question play is wrong. football. I think it's, are athletes good role models? Mm. Because athletes are role models. And then the debate is if they're a good role model or not. I don't think we get to decide if they're role models. I think if you have millions of people watching you every weekend, whether you're a footballer or a cyclist, you are a role model. People are watching you. Whether that's a good idea or not, like it's probably not. They're very, very obsessed very, very single focused. And when somebody is very single focused on one pursuit, by nature, single focus doesn't make you very well balanced. You know, we've seen, you're not much of a UFC fan, but we had Sean Strickland fought in Toronto a couple of weeks ago for the middleweight title. Sean Strickland is a brilliant fighter. You could shoot Sean Strickland in the middle of the head and nothing would come out, only like he'd whistle when he runs. Like his head is totally hollow. Poor Sean Strickland. He's just like a punching bag for everybody about his intellect. I really do feel for him. I, I don't even really know who this but person you is. But I know he got... heard his press conference. Right, okay. Like his press conference was utter vitriol and haste towards transgender, okay. homophobic. And, you know, anyone can have their own opinions on that stuff, but the amount of hate spewing out of his mouth for that stuff... Okay wasn't right i think it was right that ufc just say look i don't care what he says people we're not going to curtail people's opinions everyone has their own opinions he's entitled to his fair enough i think that's a nice stance from dana white but i don't think sean strickland is a good role model and mm. i don't think athletes in general are good role models there's exceptions but 
I don't think most of them are good role models. But as you said, it's always going to happen. Like any, even on the local scene. God, I remember going to a race with you before. And after the race, this kind of young fella came up and he was like, can I get your bid on? You know, because you were kind of a big what deal apparently. <laughs> you gave it to him. <laughs> it cost me seven quid. Because <laughs> you're like this big deal, like on a local level. It's just, it's natural that kids and people are going to look up to athletes. So... It's it's hard, isn't it? It's like should they be held to a higher standard than normal people? I think the media gets to decide in a lot of ways, which because you have a huge subsection of it. it's like our our taxi drivers good on the road. Well, some of them are amazing, some of them are terrible. Our cyclists considerate road users, some are amazing, some are terrible. Our athletes good role models. Katie Taylor's a phenomenal role model, like maybe the greatest ever role model for female sport. You know, and then you could go through was Lance Armstrong a good role model? We won't touch that one. No. There, you know, there's so many. You know, is Matthew Vanderpol when he when he spat at the fans? I mean, is that a, being a good role model? I'm probably going to get a lot of hate about that again. But yeah, no, look, they are human. They are human. You know, and they make mistakes. Into your last question, quite well. <laughs> okay, question. Yeah. So the last question is: Should the fans be censored? If you paid an amount of money for a ticket, should you be allowed to berate the players to a commensurate degree? Whew, the questions well, this not, week are not really to good. a commensurate degree. That's nonsense. Like if you pay five hundred euro, quid. I get to, you know, <laughs> I paid eighty. You paid five hundred. I get so. to give them more abuse than you get to give. <laughs> you them. get to throw urine at them. You know that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, should fans be? I think about this, and I hate to bore the hole off everyone with legal stuff, but I think about this nearly like consent in sports and assaults like if you're playing a football match and you go up for a header and you get caught with an elbow and you broke break your nose getting caught with an elbow you arguably consent to that level of contact in a football match if you're taking a corner and somebody runs you over in their motorcycle you don't consent to that level of contact so that's different so it's almost a consent issue i think what level of abuse do athletes consent to taking from fans the stuff we seen years ago with Louis Figo getting pigs' heads thrown at him in the Bernabeu, I don't think you consent to that level of abuse. Do you consent to some of the chants that maybe went around about Victoria Beckham back in the day? Probably. It's quite a funny. It's Beckham's lived quite a personal life. Maybe that's on the edge. Or their personal life is quite a public persona to it. Mm. So maybe that's on the edge. You definitely don't consent to the idea that maybe Matthew Van Der Poel had urine thrown at him, which I never seen verified but you don't consent to that i don't think at all that's across the line but i think it's each action on its merits and trying to figure out if that's something you consent to you like no one would almost no one that's reasonable would disagree that it's okay to boo someone mm. really because like is it okay are, are those chants okay i mean it why should we be teaching people, young people, that it's okay to boo, heckle, shout at, scream at uh, players or teams that they're not part of? Whatever, whatever we're giving like positive chance, positive reinforcement to your team, but this constant negative booing every time the opposing team gets the ball or, you know, as I mentioned last week about Sky, as they were going up after Wes that day, the entire mountain, there was probably... 30,000 people <laughs> booing Team Sky. It's just like, oh, I don't know. It's not something that I, my mom or, you know, ever encouraged us to do even when we were watching sports. Sport. heroes and villains. Mm. Like yeah. you're looking, you're 
criticizing Chairman Mao back up there for his stance <laughs> on the club. And you're talking about censoring fans, what they think and what they say. Yeah, I don't know. It's just like the, yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't thought this through probably correctly. I maybe <laughs> think that, I think your, your, your opinion is, is okay on it, but yeah, I don't know. I'll have to come, I'll have to circle back to right, this. Right, circle back, we'll come back <laughs> to next week. Uh, to finish out, you had another TT on Tuesday on my whoosh. It's our weekly time trial. I think we're going to put details in the show notes down below if you're watching on YouTube or listening to Spotify or wherever to join us on a Tuesday because it's getting bigger and bigger. And you've been making progress week on week, Sarah, until last week <laughs> when you just blew your lights, which was hysterical. It wasn't. It was, it was the most painful. I think it usually takes me about, my quickest I've done it is about 27 minutes and I got to minute kind of 12 and I was like oh I'm in trouble here I've gone out way too hard and then yeah eventually I just blew just literally could not turn the pedals whatsoever previous couple of weeks I have been saying to everybody you know if you 50 only 50 percent of the people that join actually end up coming over the crossing you know finish line so please hold on till the end I was that person who DNF'd last week to my shame but yeah I just couldn't couldn't stick in there walk a shame back to the front row walk a shame I actually called you. I was like, Anthony from from the where the what bike is. I was like, called him from the sitting room. I was like, oh my God, help me down off the bike here. <laughs> but so, yeah, every Tuesday, 7 p.m. GMT, my wish, my wish is completely free. And if you go into the app, my wish, you'll see the roadman right there. It's in events. So please join us. It's great fun. Sir, thanks for chatting. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. If you liked this chat with Sarah, we've had plenty more disagreements that you can check out and they're all up here. Please also subscribe to the channel.